Blog Talk Radio. Firefly Willows L.I.V.E. presents Revolution, featuring your host, Heisey Lutmers. Welcome to this month's Revolution with High C. Thank you for listening. And I'm joined today for our roundtable here at the beginning of the show by Mildred Lynn McDonald, Hello. host of Healing Conversations, and John Carousella, Howdy. host of Convergence as well as A Shamanic Life, and Deb Carousella, Good morning. our fearless producer and voiceover artist. And for our roundtable discussion, I was struck by a blog post that I saw by T. Thorne Coyle called Welcome Stranger, and you can find it on her website at thorncoyle.com. And here we are in the midst of holiday season, preparations for the holidays, and we start to think about the people we know, who we want to get together with. But what this blog post really was about was how do we welcome and how do we meet strangers that we cross paths with so that we remember to always have something to offer or give, even when it's someone that we may not know or that we may feel we have absolutely nothing in common with. And, of course, the first thing that struck me was even when you feel you have nothing in common, we all have our humanity and our experience of being human in this lifetime as a commonality between us. So if we can even just meet on that level, that can often be a starting place to think about what is it I can offer this stranger whose path has crossed mine. And so I wanted to pose for both my fellow co-hosts here as well as for all of you listening to give thought to this as well. Um, My first question around this topic is, how do you welcome a stranger? Because we come across strangers every day. So how do you find yourself interacting with strangers? Do you acknowledge everyone? Do you tend to be in your own bubble and maybe not necessarily take notice How do we deal with strangers that might make us uncomfortable for whatever reason? Some people get uncomfortable walking by someone homeless on the street asking for money. Other people might get uncomfortable by someone they think is not in a mood that they might like to interact with. So my question to you is, when you come across strangers in your everyday lives, how is it that you interact with them? How how can you welcome them in some way? 
For me, when I meet a stranger, I guess the first thing would be that they don't seem strange to me. So the word stranger is almost a word in my vocabulary that doesn't exist, although I do understand what it is. And I find when I go out and greet the world, I'm naturally open to meeting whomever crosses my path. And I love your question because what came to me was I'm curious about the person. And I also look at crossing their path in whatever way that happens as an opportunity to shift the vibration upwards. So, so Mildred Lynn, you don't, you don't meet a lot of strangers. No, I don't. And that's when I was thinking about this, I, I realized that. Like, I, I don't even use the word stranger in my vocabulary. Well, and you come from some place that has a culture of being very welcoming to anyone and everyone. In, in Cape Breton, where you come from. Is that true? Yes, it's true. And in fact, now I'm going to blow the horn of Cape Breton. Cosnast Magazine, they did a survey, and Cape Breton was voted the second friendliest island after Bali. Wow. Yes. 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 So in Cape Breton, what does that mean? How do they think about the idea of the stranger, quote-unquote? Well, I believe that I'm probably an example of that. It's simply not in people's vocabulary. People aren't viewed as strangers or strange, and the emphasis is on making them one of us or making them feel at home as quickly as we can. So that's where the focus of the energy goes. Mm. So I think it's almost a reverse, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, that's very interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, when I... I thought about um, thought about Thorne's uh, blog post. It was a great blog post. A couple of things came up for me. One one is the thing that I do when I meet someone, even even if I'm just passing them, right? Not even necessarily engaging them. The first thing I do is I look for beauty. I look for what what part of them that uh, that I can see. Where I, where I can see their inherent beauty, something about them that, that carries that magic that is beauty. And, you know, sometimes I'm more successful than others, but I know it's in there. And so, you know, Mildred Lynn says she's curious. Um, I'm, I'm like, I'm interested in finding the beauty. And so it, I guess in a way that's curious for me too. Uh, it's just, a, you know, a, a different, it's more of an aesthetic in, I guess you could say, uh, that there's always something about someone that will give me the experience of being in the presence of beauty, if only I can uncover it. I think that I'm very much like Mildred Lynn in that I generally don't think of people as strangers, simply as somebody I don't know. And I'm also very curious because I'm always curious to know what people's story is to know what their experiences are, both because I can learn from that as well as it allows me to hear what some other types of experiences are that maybe I've not had because I'm always just curious what those were, how it was like for somebody to go through those, etc. So I tend to be very curious and open to people that I don't know because I want to hear their story. And therefore, I try to create an opening or an opportunity for them to feel comfortable in sharing or 
opening up in some way. Um, <clears throat> Jeff always laughs at me because the conversations that I will just start having with a taxi driver or a waiter or something he's always amused by because I will seemingly be asking them very what might seem like personal questions but they're just not typical questions that people ask it's not you know how are you it's always wanting to know something I always want to know like why are you why did you get into this profession or you know what's the most interesting thing you've experienced in the past week so I think that curiosity is a way to help dissolve the barrier we may feel of strangeness between us and someone that we don't know. And that can be a very helpful and beneficial thing for both parties because then neither of them feel uncomfortable or distanced from the other rather than they start to feel a connection or an interconnectedness in some way. The other thing that I... That I... I look to uh, experience is I, I, I'm fascinated by what they can teach me. And, you know, you, you talked about it um, sort of uncovering their story. And for me, it's a little bit more, a little bit more explicit than that. I'm looking for um, a skill or an experience or a perspective that will actually teach me a new skill or a new way of looking at the world. And so it's, it's kind of more purposed, I think, than, uh, than the way I imagine you're just what you're describing, I see. Um, I, I guess I have a little bit more of an agenda <laughs> when I meet a stranger. Well, that always makes a stranger feel comfortable, that they're talking to somebody <laughs> who has an agenda. About it. um, it's, only, it's only to learn something. No, well, I think the first the first thing I do is to look for beauty. And so, if if it's only if I only have a short time, then then that's probably where my attention goes. And then if I have a longer time to get to know someone a bit more, it's um, it's seeking, you know. I guess so. So priority one is beauty. Priority two is learning something. And then the other aspect is saying nothing but being open, and then people sense your being. You're open to an exchange. I guess I will be the odd man out voice. Um, I don't, I definitely know the word stranger and I definitely feel the word stranger when I interact with individuals that I do not know that I have never met before that um, I will be passing perhaps for the very first time and never again in my life. Um, And I find as I was reading through the, um, blog post and and examining and thinking about the message that was there i have i very much interact with the world from a very uh personal point of view what does how am i feeling what does it mean to me how will it affect me what am i willing to engage how much am i willing to give and it all centers around me and my ability and my sense of how, whether I feel secure, whether I feel safe, whether I feel generous. Sometimes I am very quiet and observant. And if I feel in a safe and secure place, then I will allow, I will be open to the interaction. Even if it's simply a direct look in the eye and a smile, sometimes it's a hello and a nod. 
Um, sometimes it's actually a conversation, but they don't always go that way. Sometimes they're, I, I approach a situation and, and I either am too involved in my headspace and what's going on with me at the moment, or I don't feel particularly secure or comfortable. And then it's a, I try to be open to the fact that that is another human being and I will acknowledge, I will look in the eye, I will perhaps smile, but at the moment that's all I have and that's all I can share and then I move on. Well, I think what you say there brings up a really good question that I like to pose to each of you Um, and for those listening, you might also think how you would respond to this as well. What might be something that you would suggest that let's say that we're not in a mood or feel like we're in a place where we have something to offer especially when we feel like there is an expectation or even just a need that is there or being expressed for example if you're walking by someone asking for money and you don't have money to give them or if you are dealing with someone who is asking for something that you feel like you just aren't in a place to be able to offer in that moment, what is something that you can offer to anyone at any time when you come across them, whether you know them or not, especially when you feel like you have nothing to offer or don't feel as if you're in the place to offer something? This one was a bit of a challenge for me, Hi C. And what I came up with is a smile. And I went back and looked at my behavior because like everybody else, there there is there are times when I'm rushed or times when I'm tired or times when I simply feel there's nothing in the gas tank that I I'm lucky to be getting through the day myself crawling crawling along. And I I looked back and I thought, well, I know I'm always able to give a smile. I think the thing that I can do no matter what is not reject the person. You know, it's like we are so often when we're in that place where we don't have anything, we do, we don't feel like we can have, we have any, I don't have any change. I don't, I, this is not the right time for me to give to somebody we, there's two ways that that can happen when, as we pass them. We can put up a wall to defend ourselves against an onslaught, which is in a way a kind of rejection of that person and their condition. Or we can simply say we can experience in that moment empathy with their condition and their suffering without taking it on and without expectation that we can do anything about it. But the difference is that in that case, we're not rejecting them. We're not rejecting them as people. We're not objectifying them as other and, and setting them away from us. And I think that's something that it takes a little bit of practice, but it really doesn't require any effort or energy. It just requires a kind of tranquility and compassion. And I think what John has just stated is um, what I was thinking and feeling. I would I would just simply use different words. Um, what came what I would use and how I would describe what the least that I could do would be um, politeness, courtesy, 
and sincerity from a place of, as I guess John said, as with empathy. Um, for me, that is the embodiment of um, sincerity, courtesy, and politeness. Um, truly seeing the other individual, but acknowledging that, I'm sorry, I, I cannot help you right now, but I do see you. Yeah, I think that's a big deal. Seeing people is uh, has more healing. There's so much healing capacity in just seeing someone, uh, and we don't we don't typically we're not practiced at that. We don't understand its power, but it's very much there. Well, and I think that that is very similar to what I was going to suggest as well, which is, if nothing else, I can always offer acknowledgement. Uh-huh. by making sure that they know that they are seen and not invisible, that I have taken notice even if I have nothing else to offer. So I always try to look people in the eye or make eye contact or offer a smile or <clears throat> simply open the door and let them go in before me. And, you know, I learned this seeing different articles and things, especially about homeless people, that sometimes all they really want is for somebody walking by to look them in the eye and acknowledge their presence rather than walk by as if they're invisible. And so for me, that's always stuck with me, and it's always been something I thought needs to be applied to anyone at any time, is make sure that they at least are acknowledged and feel as if they are seen and not invisible in the world. And that can just be through simple eye contact or a smile or something like that. It doesn't have to be some grand gesture. Many of the things that you've already said, obviously, I think, connect to that same idea as well. But especially when we feel like we don't have something to offer or don't feel like offering, if you will, um, we can always offer a smile. And I think when Mildred said, you know, she always tries to smile at everyone, what you'll find is even if you feel like you're forcing it, if you do it all the time, that smile that you give someone else starts to affect how you feel and you start to feel a little lighter just because you've been willing to smile and you generally will get a smile back. But even if you don't, which goes to not giving with expectation of something in return, um, being willing to just make that simple gesture can actually have not only an effect on the other person, but I think an effect on us as well in that moment or in that day compared to how we might have been feeling up to that point. So I would encourage you as you go through the hustle and bustle of the holiday season, undoubtedly coming across many strangers um, when out and about, to be willing to take notice of them, to make eye contact with them, to not necessarily see them as the other, but to simply see them as a fellow passenger on this spaceship that we call Earth. (laughs) Um, All of us getting through this experience in our own way, but also together. And to take a moment to acknowledge, to smile, to give something to anyone and everyone that you come across rather than only thinking about people that we know and somehow making the rest of the world invisible. So my thanks to my co-hosts for 
chatting about this, Mildred Lynn McDonald. Thank you. Hi, C. Great topic. And John Carousella. Thanks, I see. And Deb Carousella. Thanks a lot. And stay tuned. Coming up in our show, we'll have our regular segments, our astrology update, as well as our Living Well segment. And my guest is Napata Miro, R&B and blues singer based in Paris. And she's going to be chatting with us about the healing properties and the powerful effect that the voice and song and sound can have on people that she has seen and experienced firsthand in her over 40 years of a career as a singer. So stay tuned for that. And if you'd like to get a reading in the later part of the show when we are offering the live readings, you can Skype in from the show page or you can call 646-716-5510 in order to get into the queue and receive a reading. So hopefully you'll be doing that and stay tuned. We'll be right back. and girls, this is your queer astrologer, Tino Calenda, with December's Astrology Report. We begin our month with a Sagittarius new moon, with enthusiasm and the global perspective being the overriding energies that will define the entire month. So this is the underpinning for the entire month's trajectory, which is infused with the enlivening and wide-angled lens of Sagittarius. A feeling of loads lightening and adventures beckoning will be the general mood. 
Sagittarius in particular gives us a more global perspective. It has this, the effect of lessening distinctions and seeing where things intersect and connect. It sets its sights into unknown frontiers and takes existing knowledge into a holistic discipline. This becomes the overarching theme for the month of December, even with other planetary trans- transitions into the more serious and reality-oriented sign of Capricorn. We'll start out the month on December 3rd with a Mercury in Scorpio sextile to Mars in Virgo. Let's just say that these two boys are so cute when they get together. Much gets done in an harmonious aspect such as this. The two are making love to each other. Mars is in the sign of service and is at his most useful. When in Virgo, there is a tendency to have much work and service to be done, so Mars's impulse towards action is funneled into useful work and pursuits. Virgo being the sign of health, work, and service encourages us with active Mars to examine critically our daily health habits and make adjustments in our labor, serving our health and the health of the world itself. Mars will inspire us to act in these areas. Mercury is in his depth during this sextile and is is asking us to reveal all of our hidden motives and secrets. Because he is sharing a close space with Saturn, it's serious. Saturn will leave no rock unturned, and Mercury will say it all unabashedly and with total purity. Be sure your actions are above board, otherwise you could get a nasty blowback from your own potentially manipulative machinations. When these two come together so harmoniously, sparks are apt to fly, and keep this in mind as ulterior motives could have explosive results. Baseless words. Starting December 6th, we will see Mercury in Sagittarius square Neptune in Pisces. The thinker Mercury is being confronted by the mystic Neptune, not of this realm and in the sign of its rulership. They're in a tense stalemate for the next three days and will create an echo where we are confronted by our dreams and ideals and a need to integrate them into our mind. We're living in a dream world created in our own minds. A more positive manifestation of this aspect is to use our imagination as a tool in our thinking processes, to use our dreams as a kind of organizing principle for our minds. Misleading communications can be a problem at this time if we are not paying attention to minutiae. This can lead to misunderstandings of the tallest order. Regaining the global perspective in Sagittarius and Neptune being in its native sign, these characteristics are amplified. Both Sagittarius and Pisces are disposed of mysteries and worlds beyond this one. This is a good time to communicate your ideas about the unknown. Just be very clear in your, in your communications and be mindful of the details. Shocking revelations start on December 10th. We'll experience a Mercury trine Uranus. Prometheus and Hermes, or their Romanized versions, Uranus and Mercury, are naturally harmonious friends and sometimes lovers. When they are hanging out in a trine, they are feeding each other in heaven. Uranus is in the sign of creativity and motion and the spiritedness, and he wants to act. He then hooks up with the thinker in Mercury in a sign of philosophy and expanded horizons, and the two end up in an explosively creative dialogue. This is a lovely time for any working in cutting-edge fields, such as technology, science, or political organizing, as surprising revelations and ideas can manifest at this time. 
For the rest of us, this is a time to entertain wildly iconoclastic ideas and to act on them. Perhaps you have an interesting idea about a new way to look at an ancient concept. Now is a good time to act on that hunch. Ergo, leading us to penetrating insights starting December 11th, we have a Mercury semi-sextile to Pluto. The two boys are flirting shamelessly with each other starting December 11th and will be felt for about four days out from the start date of the transit. Pluto is shaking things up by removing the corruption in our institutions and clearing the ground for a new world. Mercury is exploring unknown frontiers and communicating his dispatches from the growing edge. With the mercurial insights of unknown frontiers harmoniously mixing with the powers of evolutionary transformation that we find in Pluto, we are seeing the articulation of new concepts and ideas about how to create new collective arrangements and social structures that will evolve humanity to a higher level of functioning. Take this opportunity to communicate a bold idea you have about restructuring the public spheres of your life. You will be surprised by, far, by how far-reaching it could be in initiating needed changes in those areas. The final frontier, Mercury in Sagittarius, King Kong's Jupiter in Cancer on December 16th. A King Kong's is considered a tense aspect similar to a square, although milder. It usually signals a need for adjustment. In this case, we have Jupiter in the sign of his exaltation, Cancer, which is to say he is being celebrated, and we have Mercury in a Jupiterian sign. In essence, the transit is asking us to adjust our ideals to reflect our emotional needs and drives and to align our minds with our ideals. It is a great time to examine what role you play in nurturing others and the collective world around you. Do you nourish the world? Our ideas are increasingly leaning towards unknown frontiers and as such our drives are being shaped to fearlessly step into the limitless and become the mother of new worlds. Perhaps you're working on a special project that benefits others. More practically, it encourages a focus on the relationships where we are nourished and where we nurture and to align our ideas along those lines, which will, of course, further bring us to practical realities starting the same date, December 16th. We will experience a Mercury semi-sextile Saturn. When Mercury and Saturn hook up in harmonious aspect to bring out the best, we see an important archetypal axis as this is our outlook on the world. Mercury is our perceptions and Saturn is the real world of our social matrix. A more optimistic perspective is being asked for of our perceptions of practical realities. Saturn is in Scorpio, asking us to penetrate deeply into the bedrock of our worldly perceptions to find out if they are built on strong foundations. With Mercury in the sign of ascent, we are being asked to take what we find in our depths at our core structures and use them to build towers into the sky. Getting beyond metaphor, we're being asked to dredge up our hidden capacities and use them to build more optimistic outlooks about the world around us and to practically apply them to be of service to the world. How can we take practical realities and use them to liberate ourselves into a happier daily routine? How do we connect our practical ideas to global realities in the crises of our time? The pattern that connects. Mercury will form a semi-sextile to Venus in Capricorn starting December 23rd. 
Mercury and Venus actually hooked up at one time in mythology, and when they did, they gave birth to the hermaphroditic being known as hermaphroditus. When they hook up in the sky, it often leads to the synthesis of new ideas that are radically divergent from the expected perception. In this case, with Mercury going into wild speculation and Venus being more pragmatic late, we are seeing the ability to take expansive ideas and connect them to the matrices that unite us all in the commons. Perhaps you are entertaining ideas of how to bring people together more effectively to solve collective problems. This is an excellent time to connect with thoughtful others doing the same and collaborate towards working on those areas. Personally, it asks you to examine your ideas around boundary expansion and find practical ways to connect with others and collaborate with them on needed projects. Romantically, as Venus is also about fulfillment, it's a good time to expand your ideas as to what love is for you which will lead to a rather interesting feel for the Christmas season, being Rebel Rebel, Mars, Libra, in opposition to Uranus and Aries. When these two boys hang out in dark basements making explosives, they usually project out into the world. They do this because they want change. The revolutionary tendency of this aspect is very strong and is rarely focused inward. This marks a time lasting about four days in which we will all be questioning our social reality, which is the purview of Libra. There will be little patience for static traditions, conventions, and patterns of acceptable social lifestyles. An anti-authoritarian attitude will be in evidence and a tendency to being iconoclastic in questioning the status quo and critical of those in authority. Hypocrisy from social leaders will irritate and the criticisms will be swift and scathing. A great time to liberate yourself from stilting conventions that are making unrealistic demands of you and going your own way. Bold, brash, pioneering actions are especially rewarded during this time. Just try not to do it during holiday dinner around the table with family. Then again, maybe that is exactly the perfect time to act which will further give us dreamy visions with a Mercury sextile Neptune occurring also on Christmas Day, a time when the imagination takes over the mind and we find ourselves having an imaginative mind. Inspirations come very easily and with little difficulty, but the spigot has a hard time turning off. So you may find yourself lost in these reveries. Neptune dissolves the boundary between regular perceptions and those coming from parallel worlds and realities, the inspirations that come from the intangible realms. This is a great time to clarify your spiritual practices and to examine where your thinking is around the big phenomenon that connects us all. A great time for scientists as some of their best insights can emerge in calm moments or well-timed dreams. Finishing out the month, we have unconventional actions inspired by a Mars square Uranus beginning on the 29th. Square aspects motivate creative tensions that push needed changes into manifestation. In this particular tension, our minds are being confronted with the unmistakable impulse to change and innovate. Uranus is pushing us to act on our wildest ideas about virtually anything. We get the added benefit of novel technologies aiding us in that quest. 
as when Uranus is in Aries, we collectively often see the emergence of surprising new innovations and technology rapidly. As evidence, the last time this transit was occurring was during the Industrial Revolution. Personally, it is a radical reconfiguration of our window on the world. Our minds are being remodeled if we will choose for that to happen. These effects will be felt for three to four days. So Mercury does move fast, so the transit arcs aren't felt for long. Starting the 30th, we should feel some evolutionary impulses as Mars makes square to Pluto. This square is a ransom demand that asks us to examine injustice, lack of fairness and corruption in all of our social realities, and to act in ways that purify the corruption and evolve our institutions. Personally, it will signal a need to address unfairness within our relationship to others, whether the unfairness we are experiencing is directed at us and also what others present to us. It will demand without mercy that we act in ways to ameliorate these imbalances or it could result in explosive confrontations with far-reaching effects. We finish the month in a tense aspect yet again where we might be fighting our own minds as Mercury makes square to Mars on the 31st. Finishing 2013, we will be obsessed with a need to act on our ideas. No longer can they remain photonic ghosts floating in our neural spaces. They now have to become action and lived reality. That said, hold your horses. Mercury always demands attention to details and minutia, so make sure you look before you leap. It will be the most pragmatic and practical ideas you want to act on, the things that will streamline your routines and make your life efficient and far more effective. Don't waste another minute. You're on the cusp of the singularity of a new year. I'm Tino Kalenda, your queer astrologer, with another installment of Astrology. If you are interested in consultations, please feel free to email me at kalenda.tino at gmail.com. That's C-A-L-E-N-D-A dot T-I-N-O at gmail.com and be sure to read my blog at flyingpunkrockunicorn.wordpress.com that again is flyingpunkrockunicorn.wordpress.com thanks to Tino for our astrology update this month and we'll look forward to hearing what he has to say next month. Uh, Coming up a little later in the show is your opportunity to receive a reading live here on the air. If you'd like to get in the queue for that, you can Skype in from the show page or you can call 646-716-5510. So, as you know, I'm High C and you're listening to Revolution with High C and we'll be right back. In the spirit in the dark I'm getting the spirit in the dark 
my revolutionary guest this month is R&B, soul, and blues singer Napata Miro. At the age of 11, a talent agent discovered Napata and her four siblings as the group The Baby Miracles. In high school, Napata formed a girl group called The Simplistics, which were renamed The Ivories, when they were signed to the Scepter record label and recorded their first records, Please Stay and I'm in a Groove, which landed on the national record chart. While signed to the label, Napata went on to perform as a backup singer for Jackie Wilson, Maxine Brown, and Jerry Butler. Off to college and then to California, Napata began to manifest her dreams of musicals and European stage performances. In 1982, Napata joined the longest-running musical in the history of California, Beach Blanket Babylon in San Francisco, portraying the world-renowned music legend Diana Ross. Soon after, Napata was invited to perform at the Russian River Jazz Festival. The next few years would lead Napata to jazz stages in such far-flung places as Japan, Australia, China, and Tunisia, where she opened for Earth, Wind & Fire at the Tabarkin Jazz Festival. In 1985, Napata formed a 10-member soul and R&B dance band called Napata and the Chocolate Kisses, one of the top dance bands in Northern California. Napata and her musicians work in a variety of performances, including tours and videos. They performed at the exclusive party for the launch of Steven Spielberg's new company, DreamWorks, at the gala events for the Summer Olympics in Atlanta, Georgia, and with legendary musicians including The Spinners, Dave Brubeck, Ramsey Lewis, Kenny Rankin, and have been the opening act for Elton John. Napata has been the darling of Paris, France for the past 15 years where she has performed to packed concert theaters and on live television shows such as Le Cercle de Minuit. She has also earned rave reviews at Paris's Quai du Blues with her European sextet. Napata and her sextet are one of the favorites in the blues and jazz festivals around Europe where they perform annually. So join me in having the honor and privilege of welcoming this month's revolutionary guest, R&B, blues, and soul singer, Napata Miro. And welcome to the show, Napata Miro. Thank you Hello. for joining us. And as you can see, oh, it is as my you can, pleasure. And as you can hear, we have a stadium full of people that were anxious and excited to have you on today. <laughs> I love that sound. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I just wanted to let people know that the music they've been hearing today in the show is actually you performing um, from your CD, Blues in a Suit, and they can find out more about you as well as, I'm assuming, purchase the CD and other things that you have to offer through your website, and that is at napatamiro.com, and I'll spell that for people. Uh, N as in Nancy, A, P as in Paul, A, T as in Tom, A, M as in Mary, E-R-O.com. Yes. So, you know, the first thing I actually would like to ask you about is you have a very interesting name, and I'm wondering if uh, what the origin of that is, or if there is a meaning behind the name of Napata. Actually, there is. Um, the name 
cringe when I say this, but the signal was breaking up just a little bit, so maybe you can just give us that explanation again. Okay. Uh, the name is um, Nubian, and it is can be found in the lore, uh, on the maps of the ancient maps of Egypt, in the lore crest of Egypt, and it's the name of two cities, Napata Mero, and together, combined, the names mean uh, the name means highest order, ah. uh, and it has it has to do with um, there's a lot associated with that name in terms of how one lives one's life on on one's journey, um, what you know the way that you eat and um, the uh, the spiritual beliefs, and um, and for me I I have I've been a vegetarian for 42 years. Um, and of course, I consider myself a spiritual um, individual. And have you ever been to Egypt, or do you ever feel a connection to Egypt? Did you choose this name, or is this a name that you received when you were born? It it was not a birth name, uh, but my guardian wanted to name me. Uh, which was a little dramatic for the 50s. Uh, <laughs> so at any rate, I'm, I started to uh, incorporate that name into my life and using it in, in my late teens. Huh. Um, yeah. And have you visited And, and Egypt, to answer or? your question, no, I've not, I've not been to Egypt. Um, and it is definitely on my list of things to do. I would prefer to go just as you know, as a visitor, rather than it be a situation where I'm going to sing because I'd like to, you know, just have that time to um, to completely ensconce myself in, you know, the country. But of course, you know, it's it's also been it hasn't been a a destination in recent years just because of what's going on uh, there, right. what has been going on. But that will that will be um, a destination in my near future. Hopefully. And even though you've not been to Egypt, you certainly, with your career, have gone to practically every place else on the planet. 
and, yes, I can. Uh, <laughs> and, and you've been doing music since you were very young. And so I'm curious what drew you to music and what it is about music that has basically fed your body, mind, and spirit to keep you doing that for, I think, over 50 years now. Yes, well, I... So I just want to let people know that we're actually speaking to Nampata from Paris. And as you heard, there may be a couple of little technical issues uh, in terms of the connection for her. So uh, it sounds like she might have dropped out. So I'm just going to quickly get her back on the line for us. And give me just a moment to do that. And um, we will continue our conversation. And yes, you will hear me uh, calling. You'll hear the ringing. That that oh so pleasant European ring rather than what we hear in the States. There you are. And there you are and you are back. So we were just uh, and talking and we were just talking about what it is that drew you to music and what how music has really fed you over I think a, a career that has spanned now more than fifty years. Yes, and I, I was saying that I'm the oldest of nine. Six out of that nine were singers. And uh, we formed a family group, uh, which we called ourselves the Baby Miracles, which after that Motown group, Smokey Robinson and the Miracles. And we, um, we were discovered by a, a talent agent in, in a program that had just started at a YMCA in the neighborhood, and they called it Teens with Talent. That was the beginning of what was to be my professional career singing. However, I was discovered at age five in front of the hi-fi in the living room of my house at about five, four, four, to, four in the morning, uh, singing to the top of my, my lungs a song by the staple singers, uh, and it was called Downward Road, and it was a gospel song. And now, that, you know, then we had the high fives that, you know, played the, the vinyl records, you know, the 78, the 78 record, and, and the high fives would not replay. It just, I mean, what it, it wouldn't stop. It just would continue to, you know, repeat. And so my mother finally woke up because she had had a party the night before. And so I woke up to this record playing over and over again, and I'm sitting there, and I'm mimicking the record. And my mother came out, and my nickname is Cookie. And she said, Cookie, it's turn that thing off. And then she said, wait a minute, was that you? And I said, uh, yeah. <laughs> At any rate, that started the performances for the family. When the family got together, she would always say, Cookie, sing that song, that song that you were singing when I discovered you in the morning. And, and that was the beginning of performing in front of, you know, people, in front of the family, which is a very big family. Uh, so every gathering I would sing. And then my other siblings would, you know, kind of join. We started, you know, learning songs. Um, and that was, that, was, that was the beginning. And I believe that 
when we find ourselves just naturally doing things that, I mean, when we, we will choose to do something when there's nothing else, uh, when the chores are done or when you're just sitting quietly, um, I think as adults, if we were to go to that thing that we found ourselves naturally doing as children, even if it's playing doctor or playing uh, store owner or, or singing, um, we'll find a, a true passion and, you know, and, and get back on a path that we lost in just trying to earn a living, uh, doing things to earn a living. And, and I say that in kind of in answer to part of your question, you know, what drove me? What was the, the, the energy force that continued to, uh, you know, nudge me in that area of, of entertaining because the other siblings, I'm the only one out of the six that continued to pursue a career in music. And, um, and it was just a, it was a natural, it was a thing I felt fulfilled whenever I was doing it. And then when you realize that when you do that thing that you do, how it affects others and their encouragement. Um, so it was always someone or many saying, oh, you should sing or you or do this or call that, you know. It just, the path is kind of, kind of chiseled out for you. It's an easy path to follow when it is a path with the heart. And I think that you've also mentioned how you don't necessarily actively seek things out versus they seem to just come to you at the right time. And that yes. I think is also probably another indication that we are on our true path or we are following our true passion because if we give ourselves over to it, then those things that are needed in order to sustain it or move it forward just seem to appear at the right time in the right place. So can you maybe speak to that a little bit and also um, if you have any examples uh, throughout your life and career as to when just the right thing at the right time has come along to help continue moving you down your path in music? Yes, well, um, to... I guess to to try and compress the over the course of the years, and uh, starting with the the early uh, encouragement, um, which in school, of course, in school, you know, because I sang, um, I would be a part of the the talent shows in school, and um, and you would always get the encouragement from. Your, your instructors, you know, the teachers, the music teachers. Um, and one thing that happened, I ended up recording, as you mentioned in your introduction, I, my first recording, which took place at age 15, um, 1965. I just gave away my age, which I have no problem with doing. <laughs> and, um, 
1965, I recorded with a group that I formed uh, because I had I had to form my own group because I outgrew physically outgrew everyone in the family. I mean, the brothers, um, I was the oldest, of course, but I am six feet. And by the time I was, I was 12, I was 5'10", which was not fun then because tall, very tall women back then, that was not a very popular thing. I can't tell you how happy I am that when the tall came into fashion for women, but I... I had to, I outgrew the family group. They were, I was so much taller than them. And I think just my expression, my vocal expression was uh, a bit more mature perhaps. And so I, I formed a group with uh, girlfriends in school. Both of them played saxophone. And one of them was my next door neighbor, but we were in, we were in uh, junior high together. And we formed a group called, we called ourselves the Simplistics. But one day at a talent show at our school, one of the agents from not necessarily Motown, but this guy had worked with uh, the the Temptations had come to the school and because there was this big sock hop that was going to take place that week. And of course, we performed. And one of the road managers got my number and contacted me later and wanted to know if I and the girls could come and all, no, not the girls, but me. And that was scary. I was like, but what about the girls? Right. And of course, I, I went to their studio, which was on uh, just, just borderline downtown uh, Chicago on Roosevelt Road. And it was the studio of Jerry Butler, who was originally one of the uh, the impressions? You remember um, Curtis Mayfield and the impressions? You may not. You're too young well, to remember that. I, <laughs> but <laughs> at any rate, Jerry Butler was just starting his own record label and was looking for talent to record, and that's how that started. And I was just entirely too afraid to do it on my own. They thought I was the next or the young Dionne Warwick, and, or, you know, that soloist. And I wanted the girl group. I wanted to be more like the Supremes. So we, they renamed the group, the Ivories, and we made our first and only recording, um, which is Please Stay, and I'm in a Groove, and that was at age 15. Um, and I have to tell you a very interesting story. I was contacted two years ago from a DJ in Chicago who was a part of some organization that, uh, that was based in London. And they, it's like a, 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 a code group that only listens to the old music, the old R&B and the old blues and then they have another category, which is um, unusual recordings. By that meaning, it was the only one that happened by that group. And I was contacted because they played my record was a hit in London. Now, I was in my, I was, you know, 
50-something, you know, at the time <laughs> when they contacted me. And I thought, what? I, my record is again. And, and he put me in touch with the organization in London, and they wanted to bring me out to London um, to do this big thing that they were doing. And I thought that was the most amazing thing I had ever heard. <laughs> my record, I did that one record, never recorded again, uh, just became more, which was more of my desire, and that is a live performing artist. Uh, the record industry, I just, I, I didn't care that much for it um, at the time. Um, and when they said that your record today is playing in London and revered by this organization, I thought, how amazing. So when you speak of just magical things and how the universe and how we are living in multiple dimensions, you know, simultaneously, yeah. <laughs> I, I, that, was, that, was, that was proof to the pudding to me there. I just thought it was brilliant, just amazing. So that, that little story. Now, as I, as I went on, I... Um, I wanted to perform live, and I wanted to work in foreign countries. I always desired that. I apparently, at age nine, my grandmother and mother heard the words Paris come out of my mouth for the first time. And, you know, I was sewing. So I started sewing when I was seven um, and went on to make my own costumes and make the costumes of my singers even today. But... I'm sewing, and they must have said something like the word foreign came out of their mouth. And I turned around, and I said, at age nine, you know, I'm going to live in Paris when I grow up. And my grandmother turned around and looked at me and then looked at my mother, and she said, where did she get stuff like that from? We ain't got no people in Paris. And <laughs> well... I would like to say to her today, now we do. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and you've been, you've been performing. I, you've been performing in yes. Paris for the past 15 years. Yeah, a little bit more than that. I the first time, the first time I came over was for a one of the, what they call the Medium um, conventions that takes place in Cannes, France. Um, and this is where all of the top record companies come from all over the world. And you can actually walk in and sit down with like, you know, producers from Motown, from Columbus, Columbia Records. Um, and it was just amazing. And I, I didn't perform, although I was asked to perform in a club at that time when I, when I was discovered there. But it wasn't until 95 where I, speaking of opportunity, knocking on your door, that desire to work in Paris and to, to work in, in Europe, I had already... Um, you know, done my stint in Beast Blanket Babylon because I wanted to do a musical and that was manifested. Uh, and I was always doing, you know, live performances in clubs and private parties. Later, uh, forming my band, Napata and the Chocolate Kisses. And that name, Chocolate Kisses, comes from the dancers, the famous dancers in the Harlem Cotton Club in the 20s and 30s. 
as a matter of fact, Josephine Baker was a chocolate kiss. Lena Horne was a chocolate kiss. And that name came from the performers and the dancers of the club. However, we, we, I, I had come from that area to doing private events only, which is what I do there now. And that I formed a uh, R&B band, uh, funk and R&B. I call it my Tina Turner side. Uh, because it's, it's, it's high energy, it's costume changes, it's everything is routine, it's choreographed, and the chocolate kisses are these cute, sexy uh, little singers that are a little bit younger than myself, quite a bit younger than myself, and then switch musicians, uh, a four-piece rhythm section with a two-piece horn section. And we did corporate events corporate parties and that was in the era of the dot-comers you know that money was flowing and the parties were big the budgets were huge and um she, the my clients were people like uh, companies like cisco systems um adobe uh systems and um all of these these corporate you know companies and uh that's what was going on then and that was another era of my music but then I realized I needed to separate the music because I was also doing cabaret in San Francisco I would perform at a club called it's a a, a club in a hotel uh York Hotel the plush room do you remember that the plush room um in San Francisco it was it was the one of the one of the, our best cabaret shows uh, or venue for cabaret shows, and I performed cabaret and jazz, and a little blues, but mostly cabaret and jazz. Well, when I performed in uh, clubs, some of the the people from the corporate companies would see my name, and they come thinking they were going to see the high-energy things, and there I was leaning on a baby grand piano singing, you know, if I, since I fell for you. And I thought, okay, that was a little bit of a disappointment for them because <laughs> it wasn't what they were expecting. So I had to separate it. I decided to uh, perform only jazz and blues abroad because there's an amazing audience for that, that American music, that traditional American music here in, in Europe. And, and I continue to work with my 10-piece corporate dance band in, uh, in the States. So I was able to do it all, the, the jazz, the blues, and then that high-energy music, which I still love. And, and enjoy doing. And I keep saying um, to uh, Tina Turner, don't stop, don't stop. As long as she's out there, I can be out here doing my thing <laughs> with my little short dresses. <laughs> well, and I think something that um, your career and life trajectory really illustrates when we're talking about following your passion and that kind of thing is not just identifying what that purpose or passion or path might be, but it's also the willingness to fully commit to it, to trust that yes. there are other forces that are watching out to make sure that the path opens for you and that you stay on the path, and the willingness to take a chance or take a risk when an opportunity comes up 
rather than just playing it safe. Exactly. Exactly. And I, I, I think that, but again, when I speak, just in what you're saying, Heisey, when I, um, this little girl from the west side of Chicago, Illinois, um, you know, just sitting on my back porch and, and, and a big water tower in the distance, you know, in, in my imagination became my stage in Paris. And I would be on my back porch, I'm on the back porch performing and, you know, uh, mimicking tap dancing and the whole bit. But the, the bottom line was the vision. I could see it. I could see it. And, and you know that saying, if you can see it, you can be it. And it, it is, everything starts in the mind. And it looks like we might have had a little bit of a dropout, so we will just get Napata back here ever so quickly and continue because I'm very anxious to hear what she was getting ready to say. And we will call her back um, and I will bring her in. And oh, there she is. So, Napata, you yeah. dropped out. Yeah. Um, and so if you can just go back, you were actually talking about the power of visualization and how important it is that if you can vision it, you can be it. Exactly. I, and, and that everything starts in the mind. I'm, I'm, I am one that really believes that we are what we think. Um, and another thing which is why it's so important to, to try to start honing in on getting control of what we think and how we think because we will create it. It starts there first. So the vision of performing and, um, and whatever energy that was that was um, urging me um, and just breathing the life and the, the truth of of following a path of music um, as well as at the same time always following a path of spirituality and, and very ensconced in metaphysics, you know, and that, that's another thing, you know, born and raised as a, well, not so much raised as a, a, um, a Baptist, but that's how it started. But at age two, my grandmother took her children and their um, uh, children, her grandkids, which was me, uh, to a, a spiritual church and said, this is what I, I, be, I love what they're talking. I believe this, and this is what we're going to do. And it was divine science, which was quite a bit based on the science of mind. So it had a lot of science. So I'm, that is like, where did that happen? So there that was, um, and, and speaks very much to Today, I think, where consciousness is. Um, and it's like, that's weird. This little, you know, African-American girl on the west side of Chicago and dreaming of Paris. Um, and as my grandmother said, where does she get stuff like this from? <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, uh, and then the, the metaphysics. And I just thought, I look back at that and said, it just started so early, just envisioning Paris until it was 
it was a uh, it was a goal. Um, it wasn't an, an aspiration. And and I remember at my second husband, and he, he kind of managed my career in the very beginning of in in in, in California, and and I just I, I believe that things do come to you and what you need to be true to, and and in into um, put as much energy into the vision as you can and being still in the meditation to seeing it. And he said, well, you're not, you always talk about going to Paris, you know, and, and what are you doing to make that happen? And he said, it's, it's as if you, you know, it's like opportunity going to come knock on the door. Well, um, about six or seven months later, Paris knocked on my door, literally. <laughs> and it was, it was Gerard Fache of K. Du Blues in here in Paris, in Neuilly, and it was the most popular blues club in Paris for maybe, uh, it was opening, as a matter of fact, it had opened uh, that year. He happened to be here, and he happened to be, not here, but in the United States, there was a meeting of the nations uh, that all of the heads had come together, and one of the meetings was in San Francisco. They each brought... um, and a popular entertainer from their country. Gerard was invited by the president of France to bring entertainer and singer that he was producing at the time, and still is, and that's Liz McComb. He brought her to the United States. So while he was there, because he was opening that club, K2 Blues, in Paris, he was looking for blues singers, so he started asking around. My, came, my name, as he said, came up three times. Finally, someone that brought up my name had my number, and it happened to have been one of my kisses that happened to be singing in a gospel choir that was performing uh, for San Francisco at that very event. And that, so he went to speak with them, and they gave him the number. He called me. And we talked, and he said, well, I'm going to be leaving the country in a couple of days. I want to know if I can meet with you. And I said, absolutely. And the best place to meet would be my home, because in my home I had my studio and, you know, everything was there. So when he came and he knocked on the door, I yelled out to my husband. I said, uh, Tom, this opportunity is knocking. I opened the door and introduced him to the French producer, um, Gerard Fachet. He couldn't believe it. He couldn't (laughs) believe it. (laughs) Here's Paris has come to my door. And that stories like that, Heisey, has happened to me over and over again that I am truly a believer that. When we are on a path with the heart, um, it is it can be it's manifested. When you can see it, you can be it. And and what you've really illustrated in a lot of ways is that magic has very much been a part of your life, even if you weren't terming it that way, because visualization yeah. is very much a key component of magic. And yes. the and part of what that does is it creates 
the visualization process, one, you have to do it where you're not creating things that you don't want in it. You just visualize it the way you want it to be rather than seeing all of the obstacles and overcoming them versus let me see it as its fully realized thing. And then exactly. that and that stimulates and creates an energy in you and around you that just like a moth to a flame becomes that attractive force to bring those things to you that are right for your path and at the right time. And, you know, Absolutely. I love hearing these kind of stories because this is really a, a powerful reminder for people of how this works and how we can often get in our own way because we yes. don't commit to the vision or we allow the vision to become tainted by seeing things that might go wrong rather than simply seeing the vision fully as how it can be right and then trusting that will happen in the right time rather than needing to happen needing it to happen now just like with your ex-husband oftentimes people get caught up in thinking but i need to do something now it's all about action 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 yes and action can get in the way when there needs to be that time of stopping and waiting and allowing for things to come rather than always trying to force them to happen, which may then make them happen at the wrong time, and then it doesn't turn out, which creates great doubt for us. Very eloquently put. Very eloquently put. <laughs> and, it's, and it is. It is so true. The time that, because uh, the other thing was that was his personality. He's, he's a, a force for a door. You do, and you, it's, the more you do, the more you can eat and da-da-da. But I, I would sit and see myself in it see myself see what i'm wearing i mean i even see what i'm wearing um yeah. how an audience is responding and you know it's just in it till sometimes you're just sitting there on a, a sofa in a meditative state i i started to call those day visions which uh, ended up being something that was scary for me because i ended up uh, those day visions became things that I was actually seeing happening someplace and I just thought I was imagining, you know, it's just this day vision thing. But it became so intense that I could sit there, see myself on a big stage, big stage with hundreds and thousands of people and 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 create a a um a pulse that would almost jar me off the seat. You know, it was like this, you know, this, this high heart rate that was, you know, pumping from the actual, from the vision itself. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's when the energy, uh, that light, uh, that light of what energy does, energy that is creating, that is altering even our cellular system, you know, based on what we're thinking, um, that is creating, you know, collecting someplace just this body of energy that's collecting someplace that would lead a Gerard Fachet to go over to a singer who happens to be my backup singer, but she's singing in the choir, and then he can reach me and then come to my house, and all via Paris, and, you know, and just have, it's, it is led and guided in such a perfect way that... But it's- Go ahead. You know, in such a perfect way that it is, um, and it's almost like there's nothing you can do about it. You've created it, and there it is. And it finds its path. It finds its way to you so easily. 
right. so easily and beautifully and perfect timing. And, but, and it's through that visualization and then the commitment. And when we talk about action, it's not that we're saying we don't take any action. We just are willing to wait oh, yes. to take action at the right time and in the right way. But all of that creates and stimulates and pushes that energy forward to start making those things yeah. happen. Um, and I was also yeah. struck by the, the magical aspect of that story because um, while there's a hermetic principle called the, the law of three, um, which says anything that we put out comes back to us threefold, but also there's mm. um, very often in magic you see things repeated three times or in sets of threes, and you said that he mm-hmm. heard your name three times. And it's just like if people think of the movie Beetlejuice, where you say the name of Beetlejuice yes. three times, and that's what makes Beetlejuice appear. Right. And, and again, right. there was just this other example of this very magical component to the things that happen around you and to you, stimulated by the energy you've put forth through the vision, the intention, the willpower that we put out to make that become reality. But that that three aspect, it's almost as if you were summoned because he heard your name three times, which then summoned the two of you to each other. Um, yes. So I just thought I would point that out. Um, there was a... No, very uh, good, yeah. Very good, um, yeah. There was a, a I'm sorry, article that came out... Yeah, there was an article that came out very recently, just in the past week or so, about Stonehenge. Mm-hmm. And they've actually found that because they've, they've always wondered why they made such an effort to bring those particular stones such a long distance because they're so big and heavy. Sometimes people wonder how they got them there rather than just using local stones. But what they've discovered is that there actually is a musical quality to those stones, and when they are struck, they um, put mm. off a musical resonance, and you can strike the stones in different places and get a different resonance and a different tone. And so they mm. think that that may have also been a part of uh, how Stonehenge was used. So, you know, we find that we hear the, the music of the planets or the music of the spheres um, from ancient yes. times. And they've actually shown that now that there is a, a music, a, a sound that resonates and uh, comes off of each of the planets in the universe. Um, and so, you know, these are examples of how music can be found in some of the most unusual and amazing places and ways. And I'm wondering if you've ever thought about where music originates for you and where it comes from and where it resides within you. Yes, and even I think uh, I can expound even uh, and further. Um, I started to feel just based on some of the um, the the ways that those who were either in my audience or just starting with my family, you know, when I'd sing, um, you know, expressing how it made them feel. And, um, and then on with some of the metaphysical understandings that I have about sound and light and color and how it all plays off of, you know, what's the same. It has these frequencies like color you know, affects us, different colors affects us different ways. The, the, the way that a, the color that a room is painted can have a very 
uh, powerful effect in terms of your mood and how you feel when you enter that room. Um, and, of course, with the vibration of whoever has been occupying the room for some time is going to carry that vibe as well. But sound, I believe, is healing. Um, and I started to incorporate into my meditation and my projections of when I am singing that the frequency of my voice does a healing, that there's a healing that takes place. And I started using visualizations with that as well, using light, using light. And I got into the point where I could, I could, uh, pinpoint this light almost like a laser beam when I'm singing and sending it out um, through my body if you could imagine and this is the vision that I use the actual pores in the skin and you can imagine that's trillions of pores in, in our skin um, of my body and light fusing through that and going out into the audience as I sing And I, I, I continued to use that, that light. And what started to happen, I would, after a singer performs, you know, we go out either into the audience or we're leaving and you have um, those who are in the audience, fans and new fans and, and uh, those who've been participating in the concert. And they walk up to you and they start to share what took place inside of them while you were singing or that they start to explain that they felt altered or one in one situation was uh, this woman and her husband came up to me and they waited I mean there were a few people around and I'm watching them and they waited for those others to go away to speak to me and they both started to talk at the same time until one of them said, just let me tell the story. And it ended up being a story of the woman, uh, the wife, had been experiencing massive migraine headaches um, until she went to have an um, MIR, I think it is, that you um, uh, yeah, were scanning. Yeah, yeah, MRI. And... And they didn't, uh, they didn't detect anything, and then she just couldn't, because, I mean, they, I think they were probably thinking for sure, we're going to find a tumor or something, because it, the pain was so tremendous for her. And she didn't like taking medications, and, of course, they were prescribing things. They wanted to share with me that during that concert, during the time that I sang, that it was the first time that she had not that the headache resided it she didn't feel the headache the entire time and even up to the time that she was talking and she says well, we wanted to wait we needed to share that with you i don't know if it was your music or the the music you were singing the lyrics or you know whatever it was but for me i see it was a confirmation of what I had been projecting. It was like the universe way of just saying, see, this, and when, when it's a good thing, when it is a high energy thing, 
uh, that you are projecting for, then it does amazing things. And and that was and I, I have continued to receive these types of confirmations from from people, and I continue to see and use light when I am singing and projecting that the frequency of my voice and its vibration is healing as I sing. Those who are present are being aroused and excited and healed. The damaged cells in the bodies that are present would be healed and perfected. And that's, that's the vision. And I think that that really shows, that's when we know something is coming from the DNA level of ourselves and what we do and yes. what we're putting out into the world. And even your visualization processes, you know, just to play off of that, because other people can certainly do the same thing. You can do those kind of things even in meditation, not you don't have to be doing it in the moment that you're on stage versus visualizing that happening to the audience that's seeing you in the visualization and you imprint it in your DNA. So it becomes what happens when you do perform and that is going to then go out and that's going to be how it affects the people that are listening because you've already set it at the DNA level for it to be what it is that takes place. Um, and I would encourage anyone that's listening to really play with that because when you do a meditation or a visualization, you'll find that when you do that, you'll be able to go into a situation and notice a difference. If you have set a, sent out a certain energy, if you have sent out a certain light, then you'll notice that it has created an effect even prior to you being there and by okay. doing that visual and by doing that visualization you're able to create the effect ahead of time so that when you come in you become the catalyst for that effect to take place because you've already set the energy ah. in the space before you're there yes um, and that doesn't that's not to take away from doing it while you're performing as well, for example, but you can set that at a energetic level even prior to so that you can simply walk in and then set it in motion. Um, and I think that's something that's very powerful that both you are doing as well as what other people can do, even if they're going into the office for a meeting do a visualization yeah. the night before and fill that space and visualize the people you're meeting with and send a certain energy out that you need to be in that space, whether it's, you know, people to be receptive to an idea or cooperation or Absolutely. whatever it is, motivation, because you'll be able to find that when you go into the space, suddenly you see the result of that because you've already sent the energy there to be triggered. Um, you've already created Right. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I also, you know, what you're doing also really ties into things like what Dr. Emoto does with water and shows how uh, certain words and certain sounds on the very crystal DNA level of the water changes the molecular structure of the water yes. based on exactly. the words that are said. Mm -hmm. And, you know, not only through the visualizations you're doing, but I think that's the power and the effect, especially that music can have on people. 
Um, because music, yeah. you know, I know they've done studies, music actually triggers the same part of the brain that is triggered for orgasm. Um, and so yes. it creates this mm-hmm. this body response of and, happiness. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that's why people get such an excitement and such a rush from being in a concert or, you know, that kind of thing. Or yes. just listening to music in your living room, my goodness. Um, yes. So... Uh, so if we think about that level, that DNA level of how music can affect us, what role or purpose or use do you think that music can be put to in our everyday lives? And how should we think about utilizing music on an everyday level? I I think that uh, because there is... Um, there's such a broad range of music, types of music, and, and particularly today because there's so much new uh, types of sounds that, that, that are actually coming out of um, you know, metaphysical thinking and, um, and, and creativity for music. But I, I think that um, just like if, if, if there was anything I could say to anyone at any given time it would be uh, it would always be an encouragement to to implement meditation into their daily life uh, at some point if, if they can't do it you know in the morning or in the afternoon but um, to to start to implement uh, meditation and to find a music that that um, that works for them for for that uh, that area of of calming them, you know bringing them down from the day to quieting the what I call the Star Wars in the mind. Um, you know Star Wars is going on in the mind, just quieting that to you can get to a point where you can find five minutes of of quiet and use and use music. Use music that helps. And of course, and if you're trying to do something like this, you don't want to listen to, um, well, I won't say names, but you know, rock and roll, or, um, but you know, something you can that say, is you going can to say match. You can say Justin Bieber. You yes. don't care. <laughs> um, but I, I, I think because I, I have certain types of music that I listen to, where very different things that I do, like cooking. When I'm cooking, which I love to do, uh, when I'm cooking. I oftentimes I'm listening to uh, instrumental jazz. I, I don't really want to hear lyrics. I don't want to hear anyone singing. I just want I want the saxophone to be the voice or the or the violin or guitar. But um, I listen to um, you know instrumental jazz or classical music. And and there's there's just this different music that you can listen to 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 match what it is that you are feeling or that you are trying to produce or project uh, for because music is healing and as as well as affirmations I you know affirmations that you find that that um, you know that that has uh, that connects to what you believe or that is speaking to you and on a very positive level. And that's what affirmations are. It's altering how we think. And to, to speak something positive 
Um, and affirmations are the easiest, one of the easiest ways to do that, to speak, in, to speak something positive in words every day of your life or as often as you can. Uh, it may not be some people, which it may be hard to do that every day, but to, um, to create a habit of speaking positive words, listening to um, music that makes you feel good, feel relaxed. Uh, you know, of course, when you go dancing, you want to hear Justin Bieber, and you want to hear Lady Gaga, and um, you know, and oh, but uh, but to alter the living space, uh, the space where where creativity takes place, and 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 that is the space where you live, because that is the beginning. That's the beginning of anything that you're projecting for, that you're sitting thinking, or if it gets dark in your thoughts. Um, to take control of that change like affirmations one that uh, that's music I mean it, it carries a frequency it carries a high frequency of positive words that create positive images in the mind and and settles into our molecular uh, structure and and affirmations I I think are just um, I, a wonderful way to get started if it's not something that you practice already um, and to find them. I, I have one, I see, if, if I could share it. Yeah, but of course. And an and affirmation. And, and I think you, you may have heard a, a, a portion of this. Well, one one is, 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 is very um, short, and, and I think it's, it's brilliant. And it goes like this. Everything that I desire comes to me easily. All of my God-guided actions are supported by a universe that wants me to succeed. That's a short one. And this one is not long, but it is, I call it a daily affirmation for an ageless, blessed life. And it goes like this. Within me now is divine love, making lovely and gracious my way. Within me now is God's intelligence, making every right decision. I lack for nothing. Inspired by divine intelligence, nothing can confuse me. I meet life this day with ease and expectancy of increased blessings. I am free of all problems, all fear, and all possibilities of failure. Filled with perfect peace, nothing can disturb me. My mind is centered in spirit. My body is centered in perfect health. And my life is divinely directed in all ways. And it ends with, I am at peace with my day. And my day is at peace with me. Well, that's, that's quite beautiful. And, you know, I think that sometimes people dismiss affirmations as just some kind of new agey thing. But... Usually what I find is people that are dismissing them think that I should be able to say it once and see something happen. And when that doesn't happen, obviously it's not working. And it's really, <laughs> in, the, and it's really in the repetition that stimulates and builds and creates that energy. So saying that every day or saying that multiple times every day, that's mm -hmm. when you would start to see how it is 
changing you, changing the space around you, changing your day. Um, And so I would encourage people to consider doing that, but not to think it's just a one-shot deal versus it's something that you do regularly, and that's when you start to see things happening and changing is the more you put intention into it and the more you do it to stimulate and keep that energy moving, the more you start to see the effect from it. Um, and it, it really makes me, you know, thinking about music because music really is vibration. And what I often yeah. use um, is just a simple statement of I vibrate in harmony with and then put whatever after that. And what that's doing, mm. and this is what affirmations are doing, is it's, it's just like tuning a piano string. It's bringing you into vibrational harmony and resonance with whatever it is that you're seeking to stimulate or create or bring about in yourself or in your life. And that's where I think the beauty and the power of affirmations are, as well as, you know, I think people just think of music as music, and music is anything that is emitting sound to me, whether we're speaking sound, whether it's just the Mm -hmm. tone of a tuning fork, um, you know, everything is music. And so if we can embrace everything as music and the power of that and what you've been talking about music having in terms of that healing effect, then we start to see there's music all around us. And this is where, this is my one little political statement, this is where I get very disappointed the more that they take music out of the schools because I think it's doing a great disservice to the, the inner structure of the students and how they're growing and developing because music is so important Absolutely. in helping to stimulate that. It's a that. massive, a massive um, a disservice. I, I, it's just hard to believe that someone could have even come up with that concept, that idea right of now. taking music out of schools. I, yes. It just was shocking. Well, there's, there's, there, there are a lot of, there's a lot going on with some of the entertainers, our, our, our very well-known um, stars who are uh, working to, and some politicians who are working to reverse that, to get the music back into the schools, uh, because it's it's a scary thing. I'm it's frightening. It so really I think is. we, I think we should start to make that part of our, as you call them, day visions, visualizing yes. music back in schools and the power and healing of magic. Uh, sorry, <laughs> the magic and healing power of music filling the schools again and having that effect on the children so that we can start stimulating that energy of manifestation to make that a reality. Um, and speaking well, of day vision... I'm going to join you. I'm going to join you with that one. Yeah. Well, I would, I would encourage everyone listening that feels compelled to join because the more people that are doing it, the quicker and the more that energy becomes stimulated to become manifest. Um, and speaking of day vision, what if, if we had you doing a day vision right now, where are your day visions taking you? What are they envisioning for you in terms of the future of music and your career? Well, interestingly enough, um, I have always thought and felt that music was uh, I, I, I shouldn't say always. It was more in my um, my young adult um, years that I started to believe that music was actually a catalyst for me 
uh, to do what I probably ultimately would be doing, and that would be a type of a um, a spiritual teacher. And I would certainly sing, uh, would be a portion. And I have actually put together a program um, that... I, I call it salons, but this would be a retreat. And it would be a retreat, a spiritual retreat. And it would only run for uh, six months out of the year, and six months it would be closed. But I would have in the program um, music, uh, meditation, and I would have speakers. For instance, I would invite someone like yourself to come and and maybe um, be a presenter and in teaching a class on on whatever subject of that that area of of, of um, metaphysics or spirituality that you would like to present. So the six months that is not happening, I would travel and I would go to other spiritual retreats and, and take courses and, or, or just learning new and meeting new people, um, new presenters, and the brilliance that they, these individuals, have come up with in terms of, of um, teaching uh, spirituality. And, um, and this retreat, I, I see it in, um, in California, and I see it in Ibiza, Spain. Uh, okay. They say Ibiza there, but it's, it's, it's pronounced, I guess it's spelled Ibiza. Ibiza. And um, I was brought, invited to a, Ibiza to be a spiritual presenter for a retreat that, was, that ran 10 days. Uh, and it was just brilliant. Uh, the amazing speakers and presenters that, that came and what they know and what they learned and what their teaching was just amazing. And I thought that it was what was needed, what is needed on this planet to redirect us, to guide us into this next millennium, uh, you know, of the, of our spiritual human beings here on this planet. I loved it, and that's what I believe I will be doing. Probably um, it won't be long. But again, uh, the retreat would, uh, you know, there would be the meals, the classes, yoga, and it, it, was, it all encompasses mind, body, and spirit. And food for all three of those those areas of of man. And I that is my vision. That is what I would uh, I believe I will be doing probably in the next ten years. And not well. that it will start to take place in the next ten years, but I believe that that's where you may find me. And again, I do believe I will be singing. Uh, there would always, the retreat would always end on a Sunday with a salon, a music salon, with different guests, with music and food and sharing uh, what perhaps what the person has experienced over the course of that week. Um, 
but that's that's the vision and i'm glad you asked i'm glad you asked that question <laughs> it was it was uh, a little surprising but i i mean in terms of um where i i'm going with with my music career i and i've always seen that i've always had friends say well that's great what do you mean you're not going to be a singer if i mean that one day you're going to be this spiritual person and i said well you know that's that's what i feel that's what i yeah I so so what's the day and month of your birthday the day and month of my birthday is actually five five okay and i i'm three five 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 fifty so um I'm just going to do a quick little tarot thing here. Um, and, oh. you know, I used I used the birth date to calculate a year card, which goes from birthday to birthday. And so mm-hmm. um, that means right now you're in the middle of your year. And what I'm looking for is both a number and a card to represent that year. And okay. so <clears throat> you're you're in a seven year. Mm-hmm. And that's about moving things forward. It's also putting will into action. So this is a time to be really sending that vision forth with as much energy and gusto as you can possibly muster. And it is um, also a number of commitment. So there is that sense of really committing to the vision and seeing it as a reality and committing to what it is that you would need to do for it. And then the reason I wanted to do this is because I was trying to figure out what would be a good time to start to think about seeing or working on bringing this vision into reality, seeing results from it, starting to see it manifest. And that will actually start to take place next year after your birthday. And your birthday is in May. So after your birthday, um, so after your birthday okay, can you in hear May, me? I, yes. I I I yes, think I missed a lot. I was okay. Okay. Oh. Um, well, so I I was just saying that right now you're in a year, a seven year of moving things forward, putting that vision forward with as much gusto, energy, speed, really seeing it zooming ahead. And then you're moving into Mm. next year on your birthday, you move into an eight year, which is about starting to see tangible results from something or starting to see something manifest. So this is a really good time to be pushing that vision forward energetically, doing your day visions, etc., And then after your birthday and into next year, you'll start to see things happening, coming about, opening up to make it a reality. So it's not that far off. So I'm going to make a bold prediction that perhaps a year from now we'll have you on the show again, specifically talking about the first workshop that is getting ready to start and how people can be a part of that because it's starting to become a reality for you. (laughs) Oh, it tickles me. I love it. So be prepared. Now, it's also yeah. funny that you it's also funny that you said that the idea of this retreat is going to feed people on every level, body, mind and spirit. And as we are coming to the close of our conversation, 
um, what I always do at the end of our conversations is I have a question to ask you that my previous guest from last month asked, not knowing who would be on, but simply posing the question for the next guest. And then I'm also going to ask you to pose a question that I will then put to my next guest in January. So the question that my previous guest had for you is, what food feeds your spirit the most? Uh, One particular food item? Yes. Is that it, or a dish? Yes. I, well, well, you, you I would, can you can I, interpret I, that question any way you want. So, however, whatever response arises in you, however you want to respond to that, what food feeds your spirit the most? Oh wow! Okay. Well, when I I when I think of a particular item of a food I'd say broccoli for me is just amazing Um, and how I feel when I think it's the one food that I eat that I I think about it when I'm eating it when it's going into my body I think about it the texture of it and uh, the color Um, and that yes but then um, just a universal food um, if that feeds my spirit, hmm. I even oh, think of the music as a food. Oh, the food of love. Yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah, the food of love, uh, you know, which um, I think is, is certainly generated through through music and and all of the things that I love to do. Um, cook well, and, is another and I think one that, of my favorite things. But I think love is the ultimate nourishment for the spirit. So it's the ultimate food. Yeah. That, and then and that and the spirit of love. Yes. And then, what question would you like to ask my next guest? For the next guest, I'd like to ask if you awakened uh, and the next morning of your life and discovered that you could fly without anything you could just up and fly out of a window and out into the sky what would be your first destination all right excellent well that will bring us to the close of our conversation. And so I want to thank you immensely for being willing to join us all the way from Paris, even despite the little technical issues of getting connected. But I think we overcame those fine. (laughs) We did. Um, But thank you very much for being willing to take the time to join us and talk about this and share not only your life story, but also a deeper aspect and resonance of what you've experienced, because I think that certainly speaks to other people and can help them to be willing to find and trust their own passion and path, and know that things will 
come at the right time and we don't always have to try to force them, but we have to be very active in participating in the creation of the vision for them to happen. Yes, so, absolutely. Well, it was my pleasure, my an immense pleasure, and thank you for inviting me. Oh, it, it was my pleasure as well. And as we um, go out of the conversation here, uh, coming up next is going to be our Living Well segment, but what you'll be hearing first is an original composition by Napata Miro uh, called Blues in a Suit, and this is actually a song that you wrote if I'm correct in that, yes. Yes, yes. It's a very, it's a positive blues. It's, it's yes. about owning everything that goes on in your life. Yes, and putting it in a suit. Dress it up, fake That's it right. till you make it. That's right. Um, and if you would like to find out more about Napata or contact her about the retreats that she is developing or offer perhaps some services or something else that you feel you might have to contribute to start making those a reality, you can find her and contact her through her website at napatamiro.com, and that's N as in Nancy, A-P as in Paul, A-T-A-M as in Mary, E-R-O, dot com. So thank you very much, Napata. Stay tuned. Our Living Well segment with Linda is coming up, and enjoy Blues in a Suit by Napata Miro. This ain't no low-down dirty blues. This blues from a brand new place. We call it blues with an attitude. This will put a smile on your face. When you're feeling low down and out, monthly guide to the well-being of your body, mind, and spirit. It's about an alternative 
approach to life, healing, and living well in our changing world. Let food be thy medicine, and medicine be thy food. A return to this understanding of the truth of food and the value of food within our life. Our body is a machine for living. It is organized for that. It is its nature. Let life go on in it, unhindered, and let it defend itself. It will do more than if you paralyze it by encumbering it with remedies. Leo Tolstoy, War and Peace. To realize our connection with all of life and the plant and animal kingdom and how we support and help each other in our process. I am Linda Wiley and this is Living Well with Linda. December 2013. And so it is the end of the year. How fast it seems to have come and then be gone. December has such beautiful, wondrous visions associated with its sweet, magical innocence in the memories of times gone by. Fantasies flying around. This gives energy to this now filled with the same gift of life. December is the best of winter months in many ways because winter is new, the snow is fresh, the heart still warm. It's a festive time of year, to be sure. It conjures up the excitement of parties and gatherings, friends and family. Christmas trees, sparkling lights, candles caroling. Bustling cities all decorated in lights, beautiful window fronts, decorations. To the deep solitude of the mountain cabin, wood fire burning. The best food, best clothes, dressing up, savoring the blessings of the year. Celebrating the return of the light. Celebrating the many myths and stories that abound at this time of year. At the solstice, the sun, S-U-N, S-O-N, rises, is born anew into the constellation Virgo, the Virgin. And it goes on like that. Some say there is no evidence of a historical person, Jesus. Some say the Bible is a military treatise of the Roman Empire and Caesar a piece of propaganda to get the Jews to wish worship Caesar without them knowing. Religion seems to be about the destruction of the soul, not the saving of it. Lies abound in all of life, and it does us well to look more deeply than the surface for our answers. And the answers, most always, can be found within. And so it is about the return of the light, within and without. Remember that the body goes through the earth cycles too, whether we know it or not, or honor it or not. Honoring makes it so much more rich and deeply satisfying, rewarding. We honor it by accepting it, by being with it as it is, experiencing the deep offering of each moment. As we go about setting our intentions for the new year and saying goodbye to the old, know that for any resolution to be successful, You will have to look within. You must see where the glitches are that keep you from being successful. See the false beliefs that keep us locked into our filtered reality that is always reflecting back our beliefs. For as within, so without. Change your mind, change your world is also true. And doing and following through is very empowering. 
but it takes effort, determination, integrity, honesty, deep seeing of self, love and acceptance to see what is and let it go. Remembering who we are is key to freedom. So let us celebrate the return of the light, the mystery, and awe of this place we call Earth, Home, Mother, Gaia. Let us remember to love one another and help one another to realize that without community, there is no life. To deeply care for the Earth and each other, that no one shall be without home, food, medical. How could we have ever let this happen in the first place? This is a deep question to ask yourself. For without the gift of the heart, all is lost. Balance is not achieved. Let us see that it is time to stand together, men and women as equals, together, making this a place of truth, balance, harmony, fair share for all. That no tribe member is left out. Again, how could this ever happen? We have wandered far into the desert of life. It's time to turn around. Celebrate what is real in life. Dream the new dream where all are equal. Honor life, your life, and live in accordance. Honor winter's offering to look within, to get in touch with who we are. For seeds sprout in the dark of the rich soil and compost. This is life. May the light of this season fill your heart with love to overflowing, blessing the year to come. May peace and brotherhood be lived in the deep gratitude for this unfolding mystery that we are. May we all awaken to the message of the heart calling out in so many ways. May we once again remember what it means to truly care for one another in the earth. And as we do this, all divisions melt into the nothingness that they are, and we find our way again as common humanity. This truth releases all lives, and we live again. Keep warm on the inside and outside. Inside by using warming herbs and spices, curries, cinnamon, cloves, nutmeg, cardamom, garlic, onions, ginger. All these herbs and spices have healing properties. So using them often offers support for the body. Baked winter squash is warming and soothing, mashed with butter and brag, topped with green onions and parmesan, served with quinoa, sautéed greens, and assorted winter veggies with onions and garlic, topped with green onions, a bit of feta and brag. Add some beans if you like. It's a delicious, warming, comforting, healing, tasty, satisfying meal. Simple, clean food at its best, the way nature intended it to be. Use extra cream on the face and body. The cold is very drying as in dehydrating, so we also need to drink lots of water. Make it warm with ginger and lemon. This is cleansing and warming. A warm lemon and ginger tea in the morning is also a great way to start the day. I have been making my smoothies in the morning now with fresh raw apple juice and greens and a dash of ginger juice. It's delicious because unless you live in the tropics, the only fruit there is right now is your saved apples. And therefore, it's the seasonal thing to do. 
I also suggest watching some fun seasonal movies with family and friends. There are many that open the heart and tell the truth. Noel was one I just watched the other night with Susan Sarandon and Penelope Cruz. It's a vignette of some people's lives at Christmas. It's very touching and heartwarming. The Miracle on 34th Street, it's a classic along with White Christmas with Bing Crosby. The book that I recommend this month is The Dream Book by Betty Bethard. This is one of the best dream book interpretation helpers that I've come across. It's about helping with our inner journey. time to dream away, to dream the new dream, that all may come to pass that is of the heart. For it is the season to enjoy and celebrate and connect from the heart with all we meet. Starting in the new year, we will delve into specific topics such as vaccinations, insurance, the law, the matrix, speak of time, speak of quantum physics, explore some outer reaches. I look forward to sharing these topics with you. In the meantime, I wish you a Merry Christmas. And remember, it's only a dream. It's only a dream. It's only a dream. Thank you for joining me today for this segment of Living Well with Linda. I'm Linda Wiley. If you would like to chat further with questions, comments, or consultations, please contact me at linda at prestia.com. Thank you and blessings to all. Blessings to all. Have a great rest of the day. A personal tarot reading can offer you insight, information, enlightenment, and empowerment along your life's path. Hi-C is a professional tarot conversationalist and ritualist with over 10 years' experience. He's available for readings in a variety of formats, including parties and events. To schedule your personal tarot reading, contact Hi-C at tarotbyhi-c.net or email him at hic at fireflywillows.com.
Thank you for joining us. This program was brought to you by Firefly Willows L-I-V-E. We hope you enjoyed the show. This is Deb Carousella. Please join us next time on Firefly Willows L-I-V-E for Amethyst Oracle, Divination with a Queer Twist with Heisey Ludmers and Charlie Harrington, Tuesday evening at 8 p.m.